Hello and welcome to Juggling Podcast number 19. My name is Luke Burge and we're recording this live in Berlin. With me is... Sleepy Pauli. Uh, is Paula Brentler. Um, but uh, it's uh, what, almost two o'clock in the morning um, on a uh, Tuesday morning. And Paula's probably not going to join in very much with this podcast. Uh, for the reason that she's really, really tired and she burnt her arm and she's not feeling too well. Um, because, well, we're really tired because we spent the last week moving into our new apartment, which has been fantastic. We spent lots last week decorating and painting, and this weekend just moving loads and loads of furniture, day after day after day after day. And today we finally got, finally everything moved in, no more furniture to come in at all, except stuff that we'll buy to, to put in here from now on. Uh, otherwise it's all set up. We've actually, are sitting here in the living room, and we've got uh, three couches. Paula wants to speak. There are still my pictures in the old flat. Oh yeah, Paula's, a lot of Paula's artwork still in the old flat, but uh, here's fantastic. And we've got this new couch today, spent loads of cash on that, um, and it's so big, it fits seven people. Yeah, Paula spent money on this new couch, seven people you could probably fit on this couch. Um, and it took two trips to the furniture store to pick it all up, because it comes in these two sections. Um, absolutely massive, but really, really worth it. Um, photos of the new uh, flat coming soon. Oh yeah, and a, a new uh, chandelier, a new light fitting as well for the room because it's a it's a really really tall room, really really tall apartment because it's a, well one of the main reasons we moved into such a big apartment is that we can have a juggling studio here, and the living room is at the far end of the juggling studio. That means we've got this huge space above it, uh, and it's filled with this massive lamp. Paula's parents used to own a um, an antique shop, and they have this big chandelier left over, so uh, we get a big chandelier for our apartment. It looks fantastic. Uh, anyway, moving on, um, more news, uh, not so much about the new flat, but um, we got a new website for this uh, for this podcast. Less of a website, more of a web page or a few pages. One of them is a big list of all the uh, episodes, which gets updated automatically each week, and uh, the other is information about the podcast. So if anyone says, uh, what uh, what what, what is a podcast or what is the juggling podcast or what is this show who is Luke and Polo what's all this kind of stuff you can just send them to this uh, website which is uh, com forward slash jugglingpodcasts dot html and there'll be a link to that uh, on uh, on my on the front page of my website which is just com. you'll find a link there um, or you should do within the next few days also it's on the front page of the internet juggling database the ijdb or jugglingdb.com which is a which is pretty much the most popular um, juggling website on the internet and uh, it's and the juggling podcast and this page is now in the in the editor's pick section so you can uh, find all your way way through that that were pretty cool, yeah. So uh, thanks a lot to Colin E for thanks all that. I just wanted to say the same. Thanks to Colin. Yeah, thanks to Colin for that. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, seems to be a, quite a fan of the podcast and a fan of Polar's as well. He says, "Can I have your autograph?" Um, which was which was pretty, wasn't it? Well, no, because when he sent me the email saying, "Hey, I'll put you up here. What information do you want?" And when he did it, he can say, "Can I have Polar's autograph now?" Oh, I thought it was a joke. Um, probably is a joke, but uh, actually, you see. Yeah, you see, you know, LP's site, a hundred jugglers, postcards, autographs. Yeah, your your autographs are up on there already. Oh, really? Yeah, we were on featured juggler number six. Anyway, we're oh. digressing. So, um, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, downloads, we get more downloads each week, which is really great as well. And um, we've, uh, uh, I think it's up to about between seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred people listening to these uh, most recent uh, sort of uh, two, three, four podcasts, which is really great. Uh, but keep spreading the word. Keep telling people, hey, listen to the podcast, Juggling Podcast, because it's really great. Um, 
We've got a lot of feedback this week, emails and such like that, getting three or four emails every day. Uh, and this is actually why we do it. We don't get paid to do this podcast. We don't get anything in return except for your feedback. And this is uh, what we live for, really. We always look at the emails. We, I reply to pretty much every email that I get sent in with any question in it. I reply to it. And, uh, yeah, keep sending in emails. Keep sending in the feedback. That's what we really like. Lots of positive feedback. Uh, but the thing is, because we're in the new flat at the moment recording this, I don't have internet access, so I can't... Uh, I can't uh, reply to any of the uh, exact questions right now. But in future uh, podcasts, I'll definitely reply point by point to some of the emails because they're really interesting. Um, There was a tiny bit of bad feedback about the podcast, about the WJF stuff. Um, I I took a huge rant about the WJF and the the, uh, BJC, not the BJC, the the UK Open for the WJF competition. Um, Jason Garfield replied on his forum, the WJF forum, because someone posted about the podcast on there, which I thought was a bit weird. You didn't tell me. Yeah, well, it was just, it it pretty much all he said was, um, Luke is a whiner and a liar. Someone who, who moans all the time. Oh, sorry. Oh, I just lent on Polar's burnt arm and he's got a huge, she's got a huge blister there. Sorry, Polly. Sorry. Anyway, so Jason, that's pretty much his response that I'm a liar, which, to be honest, I am a liar. It's been well documented that I've told a lot of lies in the past. But, um, you know, the, to all of these incidents were that I was talking about, there have been many, um, many witnesses. Uh, the, the thing is, I'll just distill all my, my, my three, the, the, although I, I moaned quite a lot last week in the podcast about the WJF, um, the, uh, the, thing that, the three things, the three points, what it really came down to was just how unwelcome I was felt at the competition or how I was made to feel at the competition. Um, there was probably a few things that I could have done better and, and probably my fault about not getting my routine set up and music set up at the beginning. But uh, Jason pretty much, you know, he, he says whatever happens Luke will find something to moan about if he didn't get through the prelims I'd have moaned about that actually if I didn't get through the prelims I thought it'd been better competition if I hadn't have entered um and I would have been happy not to get through especially with the uh the prelim you know run through the juggling that I did in the prelims um but uh, it would seem like he was going out of his way to give me things to be unhappy about and to moan about, which is a bit strange. Second point is the judges' table on the Thursday night with Vova taking the piss out of me and my routine and and, and Adrian uh, Pole as well. It wasn't so much Vova. You know, Vova will grow up. He'll learn how to interact with people a bit better, get more mature when he grows up. It's more about how Jason dealt with that situation, pretty much just letting Vova get on with it and laughing along and the whole sort of culture there, not really great at all. Uh, and the third thing was Vova using my music. Again, it's not Vova using my music, which is the big point, because uh, it was a weird joke. Didn't get it. But it was more of an artistic choice by Vova. My big point, my main disagreement, again, is with Jason, who keeps saying that he's, he had nothing to do with Vova using my music. Um, and it was just, you know, he keeps just dodging the issue, saying whatever Vova does is up to Vova. It doesn't reflect on the WJF. Uh, but again, it's just rubbish because, like I say, Jason's the only link here and uh, he's just not admitting responsibility or taking anything like that. If anyone actually wants to listen to the music that Vova used and that I used in the WJF competition. Um, again, the link is very easy, lukeburridge.com forward slash music, and a list of files comes up, and it's in one of those things, uh, in, in some of the music files that I have up there as well, um, all of my music. And, uh, yeah, you can use that for whatever you want. A few people have used it on videos, and, and one guy's using it for a show already, so uh, 
I don't mind as long as people ask. Um, but mainly the feedback from last week's show has been great. And it's been surprising how many people have emailed backing me up and talked about it backing me up as well. Three people have actually emailed me telling me their own stories, uh, quite sad stories actually, about the WJF UK event, about uh, how you know Jason treated them or didn't treat them or didn't even speak to them. Uh, very strange. But they've asked me not to mention their names, so uh, I won't go into it very much. Uh, also, uh, another quite strange bit of um, uh, feedback, quite encouraging though, uh, was how uh, one young juggler said uh, he was so disappointed in the WJF and then he heard the podcast that I did last week and it really moved him um, and he said he's modelled himself so far in his juggling on the WJF he's made it his identity uh, but now he's decided he actually emailed me saying from now on I'm going to spend less effort um, in trying not to move my feet and instead you know, concentrating on tricks that really appeal to him on different levels, you know. So I think that's a, uh, you know, one thing that's really good that's come out of all of this, that one guy has, has decided that, hey, maybe there aren't real strict rules to juggling. Um, and uh, and he just wants to juggle, yeah, juggle how he likes it rather than the WGF sort of uh, tries to mould people into, into juggling in a certain style. Uh, but, yeah, let's move on. Um because I've got a great interview coming up in a few minutes, and I want to get to that quickly. Uh, oh yeah, also Nathan's. Uh, I talked quite a long time last on this week's podcast about Nathan's hundred uh, trick list competition, sports juggling competition, a new format, and that's got lots of great feedback online. So I'm sure I'll be talking about that more in the future um, as we get things cleared up and maybe organising an event in the future. Not me personally, but you know I'll, I'll talk about it. So um, yeah, actually, let's get straight on to. Uh, onto this week's interview. I've been sort of keeping this uh, quiet so far in the podcast because I wanted it to be a bit of a surprise. Lots of people, actually I say it's a bit of a surprise. I guess the uh, this podcast will be called uh, or named after the guy who I'm about to do this interview with. Um, but I asked last week's, uh, on last week's podcast, who do you want an interview with? Bibi and Bishu? Uh, Bibi Mbishu, uh, Marco Bonissimo, Charlie Dancy, or Jeff and Wes Peden. Um I said, who do you want to hear? And Charlie Dancy, he won quite easily so um pretty much without any further waffling here's the interview it's going to last about 30 minutes but it is actually a really great very interesting interview about uh, charlie dancy uh, as a person as a juggler as a performer and as an author of some fantastic juggling books so here you go So we're at the British Juggling Convention, um, it's the very last day, my voice is completely shattered. Um, so I'm going to do an interview now with uh, a good friend of mine, Charlie Dancy, and hopefully he's going to do quite a bit of talking, and I'm not going to do quite a bit of talking. So, Charlie, hello. Uh, good morning, good morning Luke. And what time did you get to bed last night? Uh, actually quite early last night. Um, uh, well, it was about five o'clock on, on Friday night, but last night it was about three o'clock. Three o'clock, that's not too bad, that's not too bad. I went to bed a bit earlier, a bit earlier than that. So, uh, Charlie, let's uh, let's talk uh, a bit about you, not about the BJC, and uh, tell me a bit about what you, how you started juggling, um, and uh, how many years you've been juggling, because you're probably uh, one of the long, like jugglers who's been juggling longest on this juggling podcast so far. Well, it's uh, Luke. Honestly, it's, it's hilarious. You know, when you're young, you never think you're going to get old. And I'm not saying that I'm really old, but I'm a bit old. I'm a bit old. I've got grandchildren and and things like that. So, if if I was to say that I learned to juggle in 1978. 
then uh, that would obviously be before a lot of the people listening to this were actually born. Actually, two years before I was born. Yeah, two years before Luke. I was juggling before Luke Burridge. That's that's about my only sort of claim to um, overstep his talents. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was juggling before you, Luke. So there we go. And uh, yeah, I just I just learned to. Uh, I saw a guy um, in a procession in the town I lived in, a mate of mine, and he was on big high stilts juggling three balls and, and I just walked straight into this procession so I didn't know you could do that I can't even remember his name and, and, and he said well yeah this is what I do I said no way so he was he was a surprising professional juggler yeah yeah I just didn't realize that that was that was one of the things he did and I said and, and I was totally interrupting the whole flow of the procession I was going but I want to do that and how do you do it and he said you'll work it out which is great so I sort of taught myself to juggle with oranges um, one morning and um and I reached what I call three egg stage quite quickly, which meant I could confidently sort of juggle three eggs in anybody's house. But I didn't know any jugglers or anything, and I could do over the top, and I could do under the hand. Wait a second, but you, you taught yourself over the top and under the hand? Yeah, yeah, I just sort of worked out, you know, you could throw one over the top or under. By the way, I love the whole, I'm a, I'm a three egg juggler, because, you know, that certainly just immediately gives, you know, sort of like the confidence of a, of a, of a new juggler. So it's a great milestone to pass with juggling, I think. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the thing is, it's a trick. It was just a party trick, but if you're going to do a party trick, then you want to do it without messing up. And the way to do that is to do it with eggs. And it's like, some things are just funny, you know. Eggs are funny. Um, bananas are funny. And, um, oh, we did that thing in the Renegade. Didn't that? Condoms are funny as well. So when you put eggs in condoms and use them as poi, that's funny. Um, I, I missed that. You missed that? You yeah, I missed that. Anyway, on with your story. On oh, my story. Well, that was it, really. No, that wasn't it. And then... Uh, um, and that was it. I, I, I just, I was stayed there. I just. So where you're living? I think you're living in Bath at the at the time. Tell me a bit about or getting to Bath and, and the juggling scene there, ages and ages ago. Oh God, yeah. Well, you see, I was a sign writer in those days. I used to make my living painting shop fronts and vans and stuff like that. And uh, and I was living in Bath. And then one day a juggler came and moved into the house I was living in. A guy called Mickey Taylor. And uh, Mickey Taylor was a juggler and he invited all his friends around to our big living room one day and they all had a juggling workshop in the front room. And I was having a sulky day and I can't remember why and I sat in the other room being all sulky and they said, oh, come in and have a go. And I went, oh, I don't. Could you juggle at this point? I could juggle three balls. That was it. I mean, I could just juggle three balls. Anyway, they finally dragged me in there and within half an hour, I'd bet Mickey Taylor that I was going to learn to juggle five balls before he did. And, uh, and so, that's, so that was it. Um, we... And I guess this is way before anybody else could juggle five balls in, in well, I say, of course, there would be professionals who could do it and things like that. But as a sort of like an amateur scene like that, five balls was just way ahead of anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, five balls was the, was the thing. There's various things that, that have been, um, you know, markers to reach in juggling. You know, like five balls was one of them and passing fire clubs on high unicycles was another one. And, and so obviously the, 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 the bar is a lot higher these days. But, uh, yeah, we set up a juggling workshop in Walcott Street in Bath in a place called the Walcott Village Hall. And it really, it just, it became such a thing for all of us, you know. And just about everybody that went to that workshop went on later on to do something like, you know, the Catch magazine. Yeah, tell me a bit about that. Who was it? Uh, that was Stuart, Stuart Ashman, basically. Um, I mean, who was it at the club as well? Other, other examples? Oh, the names. Oh, well, there was so Haggis McLeod, me, um, Stuart Ashman... Um, oh God, Nikki B, Mickey Taylor. Um, some of these people won't mean anything to you at all. Um, and oh, don't ask me to list names. But oh, not list names. Okay, forget it then. Was, there was a core of about um, uh, about sort of fifteen of us, and from that came um, 
from that group came the, the circus school, originally called Full Time in Bristol, now Circa Media, the Catch magazine, Butterfingers Juggling Equipment, Haggis and Charlie, Circus Burlesque. Um, we were very closely um, associated with No Fit State in those days, who were actually just another juggling workshop in Cardiff at the time, and we were all mates and sort of went up, up and down uh, to see each other. You said about Haggis uh, McLeod there, uh, how did that relationship start? I mean, when did you start becoming a performer? Oh, I started working, well, what happened was I was a sign writer, but that, so by now I'd learned to juggle and pass clubs, and all I wanted to do was juggle. I was one of these obsessive ones, and I'd go up the ladder um, to, to paint a shop front, and I'd been doing sort of flourishing moves with the mile stick, you know, a stick that sign writers use to rest their hands on. And I just got to the stage where I just couldn't face work, because I'll be honest, sign writing is, you know, it's interesting sort of interesting but it is actually very boring for nicotine work and I, I, I didn't have the time for it anymore so I was forced to go and work on the street and I worked originally for a year with Mickey Taylor the, the guy who'd come and moved into my house and uh, we went from a fairly lame street act to quite a good street act in a year um, and then split up and, uh, and I phoned up Haggis one day and said um, do you want to work out a show so we had a 20 minute rehearsal and, and that was when we developed all of our material <laughs> Wait, in a 20 minute material what material was that I mean I, I guess uh, a lot of people have seen your routine but I guess many many people haven't as well so just give a quick rundown of what kind of thing that you do on stage in your like the classic Haggis and Charlie show well the classic Haggis and Charlie show as uh, people have seen it know I mean basically it, it's the seven club routine we start off facing each other on the stage seven clubs on the floor and the aim is I'm going to pick them up one at a time throw them to Haggis and we're going to go into a seven club pattern this can take anything up to 30 minutes because there's a lot of gags on the way and stuff that have been injected into the routine over the years. Um, but it was a 20-minute session that just sort of put that, yeah, sort of like an idea, and you just went for it? Yeah, basically, yeah. It was, it was just a really nice, for, really good format for a street show because, basically, you know, you, you start, you're starting slow and you're building up and you can make out like you can't do it. And um, Yeah, so it, it, it just worked, really. And then we, we knew what the finish was. We were going to pass far on high unicycles, which we could both do, and we invented a few bits to go in the middle, and that was our show. That was it. Cool stuff. And uh, where did that show take you? It's the best job I've ever had in my entire life for six years. That was, you know, that was the only money I earned, you know, doing street shows and stuff like that. And uh, we got quite good, you know, and we got quite popular and, um, and we had a ter terrific fun doing it. And we, we had that one, it, it, this was really in the days when the whole um, street entertainment thing was kind of kicking off again. So we were in, in at the beginning of that. And, um, and it was great because we, we basically, we could always work. Um, people always wanted to see us and we could always make you know so much money on a Saturday um, so anytime anybody has asked us to do a show anywhere else we just price ourselves at what we could make on a Saturday so we made a good living out of it you know and we went so you say work elsewhere it wasn't just street shows then no god we did we did um, kids TV and we did you know, you know all the stuff all the stuff we worked in circuses stages blah 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 and occasionally used to fly us out to interesting places and yeah it was it was terrifically good fun uh, so, so that's cool. So, tell me, uh, are you still performing with Haggis much? Well, well a bit. I mean, we live we live entirely separate lives. Haggis spends most of his time in his posh. See, the thing I've got to explain. Haggis always looked after the money, and um, and so we've now reached the stage where he has a two houses. He's got a nice house in Glastonbury and a big big house, eight bedroom house in Carcassonne in the south of France, and I live in a, a an old caravan um, uh, towed by a rather dilapidated Land Rover, and I'm very poor. And I think somewhere along the line, you know, the business deal might have gone wrong there. I'm joking, by the way, you know, it's... it's, it's it yeah, I understand. Haggis married into money. 
Well, it's not. I think. I think. To, so, so I, I have this failure. I always complain about being broke, but the thing is that, that that's you, you actually have to work for a living sometimes, Charlie. I do. I work incredibly hard. I'm obsessive. We'll get onto my books in a minute. You'll find out just how. Okay, that's just that's a good link into that. So, tell me a bit about your books then. Well, no, actually, first of all, where's the idea of writing a book about juggling come from? Oh, that was. I wrote my. I, the, the the book I'm best known for is the Encyclopedia of All Juggling. I wrote that. I wrote that book six times six times the first time it wasn't called the encyclopedia it was just a little black notebook and i've still got it and i just wrote down all these tricks and um and illustrated them and stuff and it's all really scratchy and it's a fantastic little book so i just wrote it from the front to the back and didn't cross anything out and it's great and i love it and i've got it and then i thought no i really really want this to do this book properly so I, i i tried again and again and again and every time i did it i came up with the same problem which was that there are an awful lot of juggling tricks, and um, you have to draw all the pictures, but what order do you write the book in? Is that the only thing you had a problem with, the order of the tricks? Yeah, you know, it was. Honestly, I've got some fantastic stuff in my caravan. I could show you, you know. I've got, I had this one idea once, so I'll do it in order of number. We'll start off with a whole chapter on one, you know, where you have like one juggler tricks and one ball tricks and one club tricks, and then, then we'll have a chapter on two, and then we'll have a chapter on three, and then you think, well, hang on, if you've got a three-person 11-club feed, is that going to three or 11 or six? Yeah, I was going to say, for, or how many beats is it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or how many beats? Yeah, the sight swap thing. You know, I mean, it's really complicated because. So, and then I had this fantastic idea one day: is that I just do it in alphabetical order, which makes no sense at all, but it works. It just works so well, and um, and it's stood the test of time. People. So, tell, so you know, just a bit about the style of the book, you know, because it is it's quite light-hearted and stuff like that. And uh, did you have any experience of writing at that time? Exactly, you're sign writing, you're an illustrator as well. Um, so, tell me a bit about the sort of influence of the writing style itself. Um, do you know that the, the secret? With the, with the writing style because I had a bit of a problem like everybody else with typing and stuff but I quickly realised that the book was so complicated that um, type, I wasn't going to worry about the typing too much I just going to make a confession the first draft of the encyclopedia was written in two weeks two weeks it took it two weeks to write it I mean I, it, that, not the illustrations surely no no the illustrations I don't know how long that took because I went to my mate's house in Cornwall I just sat down I started drawing pictures and I don't know how long it took but I think it was weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks um, it, that was the really hard bit but the, the trick with writing down um, instructions for juggling because it's very you, you've got to do it in your in your imagination and you've got to actually talk to the person that's doing the trick so you've got to like, if I'm showing somebody like a, a juggler how to throw over the top you know there's things I'll say and, and there's just ways of getting the head around it and that's the trick is, 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 to, is to write it so you end up with this chatty style and you make like we're talking now you know we say I guess yeah we say things. So when you were when you had the final version of the book, did you give it to lots of people or did you give it to a few? Was it like did you have like testers who would go through it and say, hey, that's not right, that's impossible to do? Uh, hardly at all, which is why I got caught out a few times by a few people, including your good self, actually. Um, yeah, there were obviously a few mistakes. Um, uh, there, there were some. There's a couple of major mistakes which got fixed. Yeah, like uh, not actually writing the correct description of some of the tricks. Actually, just making up new tricks and writing the description for that instead. Well, I did make up one trick completely, as uh, everybody knows. I think who's read the book, the Dancy's Devilment trick, which was um, that trick. Uh, it came in the section, obviously under the letter D. Uh, one, I wanted to name a trick after myself, but I, I didn't think that it was right for me to name a real trick after myself because I wasn't sure that I deserved, you know, like, you know, you've got Steve Mills and the Mills Mess and, and, and so on, and uh, Rick Rubenstein with Rubenstein's Revenge, but I, I don't think that Charlie Dancy at that time actually deserved to have a trick named after him unless it wasn't a real one. And I had this layout problem in the D section where I had this big gap in the page 
And I suddenly realized I could have Dancy's devilment. But then I wandered around for three days going, well, now I need a trick, you know, that, that deserves to be called, named after me and decided it was all too arrogant. So I'd pretend that I'd dreamt about it. But the thing is, uh, Dancy's devilment has taken on a life of its own. Yeah, there are people who can do it or claim to do a version of Dancy's devilment. Yeah, they come up to me and I, they come up to me at conventions and say, have I got it right? And I go, it's a joke. But uh, it, uh, there's videos on the net, you know. Uh, I can't do any of the versions of Dancy's Devilman, you know. I just I also you had the uh, you had the version of uh, Burke's Barrage with the with the arm arm movements completely wrong over the top instead of underneath. No, which way we went around was that? I can't even remember. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, so. So glaring errors. Also, one other thing that you said, and I think in an early edition, is like if anyone ever comes up with a pattern of. Uh, of catching two balls in the same hand at the same time, I'll buy them a beer. And now you've even put some of my squeeze trick catches in there and stuff like that, a squeeze catches trick. And you've never bought me that beer? No, no, because I actually gave the beer to somebody else. No way! No, I did, I did. And it was, um, it was Gary um, at the uh, Juggler's Rest in Picton, New Zealand, who um, showed me some really nice squeeze tricks. And uh, isn't it great in juggling, you know, every time you come up with something that that seems because at the time I said that you know catching two balls at the same time I mean nobody did it and uh, it's, it's an insane idea and it's much it's totally impossible but of course now you know you can well the thing is when I first did it and I was developing these squeeze catches that it took me like months and months and months to get these patterns solid because I didn't know they were possible it's like hey can you actually catch one of these throws at the same time as that throw and to do it and to work it out and uh, and then I showed people and they learned the same trick in about 20 minutes just because they see the technique and they see like the timing of it and it's really difficult for me to do it and yet other people find it easier than me now because I had to sort of learn it myself and it was one of those mindset things that I hate about juggling no, this, there's, there's, this is called the tree in your garden effect like when you're a kid and your garden there's a tree in the garden you climb the tree and as you get a little bit older you go higher and higher and higher um, but you're never going to make it to the top because it's just too difficult. And, and psychologically, you can't climb to the top of the tree to the point at which your fingers actually touch the open air until your mate, who's six months older than you and a little bit braver, comes into your garden one day and climbs all the way to the top of the tree, and then you can do it. Exactly. And the thing is, I was doing... I was, I, I, I'd spent ages climbing a tree, and then, yeah, and then someone else climbed their own tree. Oh, I see. We could get really... I know, really, but, yeah, with, with this... Uh, uh, and we could mix them up and... Uh, so I did, I did eventually name a trick after myself, and it's all to do with that Burke's Barrage thing. Um, which yeah, I, the Charlie's Cheat, wasn't it? Charlie's Cheat, yeah, because I, I wrote up Burke's Barrage completely wrong. And the reason um, that I wrote it up wrong, because nobody showed me the trick, and I had George Gilson's lovely little book, Beyond the Cascade, which is beautifully written, and a, a classic, classic juggling book, which I got a lot of time. I actually, that's the only juggling book I've ever bought, I think. And uh, and I looked at it, and it was at the time when I could I could do a lot of three ball stuff, but only if I made it myself. And I looked at that book and the diagrams; they just sort of like almost lost me completely. But I, going back to it now, I realise actually just how how precise it is and how uh, good it is in that way. But those uh, anyway, it was precise. But he had this bizarre sort of bizarre sort of way of drawing the tricks. And when you, when you decode the instructions, um, you can end up doing what I did, which is the only source I had for Burke's Barrage was George Gilson's Beyond the Cat. He actually named that trick as well. Yeah, did he? Yeah, yeah he actually he had the trick, and so he named it to put it in that book. After Ken Burke, I think. It's Ken, but it's a very important in juggling. To, when they talk about Mills Mess, um, you know, Rubenstein's Revenge, you've got to know the first names. Yeah, and the, it's amazing how many people go, did you invent Burke's Barrage? I say, no, that was Mr. Burke, not Mr. Barrage. <laughs> no, but you did. You did invent something. Let, let, let me explain what's going on. Burke's Barrage, if you're a site swappy, is a 4-2-3 pattern. So that's a kind of... It's 4-2-3 in Mills Mess. 
Yeah, that, that's basically it. And, 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 and there's this move in it, which is kind of like a takeout, you know. Um, and the way I described it is the takeouts go over the top. Uh, I know we can't do this on radio. Yeah, but it goes over the top of the other ball, so there's a sweep over the top of the pattern. Sweep over the top. Right, which is how I wrote it up, which is how I decoded it from George Gilson's book. Um, whereupon I was soundly corrected by unbelievable numbers of people with 3,000 books printed. And... Um, that, that actually the, the takeouts go through the middle as if paddling a canoe. Like under the ball. And under the ball. And um, so then there's the, a the great thing happened with me and, and you, Luke, at a convention um, when I was, uh, I was hosting the Games. I think it was actually Cardiff 2001. Brighton. Brighton was it? It was Brighton. I'm sure it was Brighton. And uh, I, did the, I did this nice thing where you say to people, just come up and show us your best trick because it, it's, a, it's a great little game. And uh, Luke came up and did this ridiculous multiplex pattern in me and kept looking at me with these sort of you know do doughy eyes sort of going don't you get it and I went well it's very pretty and he said no I'm doing your version of Burke's Barrage and the real version at the same time because his multiplex was kind of yeah it was it, what you do you do a split multiplex and then sweep my hands not over the top of both balls not under both balls but through the middle so it's over one ball and under the other ball therefore combining Charlie's cheat and Burke's Barrage into the same trick yeah I'll just correct him on that it's actually the fours are thrown as a column multiplex not a split uh, no 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 my hand go uh, sorry they're split apart in the air my hand goes yeah. through the split so yeah I understand normally, that normally a split multiplex is I call them a V V multiplex I argue about terminology I know it's okay but you wrote the book on juggling. You wrote the book on juggling, Sue. So, tell you what, Charlie, go from there, because uh, we still haven't got to the end of you writing the book. So, take us away. What happens then? Oh, what happens with writing the book? Okay, so I'd written the book, and I disappeared down to Cornwall to my friend Ray's house, and I spent God knows how many weeks drawing the pictures. And then I sort of put the whole thing together into two boxes. And I had one box for my publisher, and I had one box for some very good friends of mine who'd promised to buy the first copy of the encyclopedia off me for £25 if I ever finished it. Um, so I went and gave, these were some of the boys from Captain Bob's Circus, which some people will have heard of. So I delivered that to them, which gave me 25 quid, which I desperately needed. And then I went to see um, Laurie at Butterfingers and gave him the other copy of it and said, here's the book. And uh, he looked at it for a couple of days and I phoned him up and said, how are we doing? And he went, well, I'm not sure really whether we're going to publish this. And I said, did this very brave thing and said well Laurie it goes like this you can have the book for the weekend and if you don't want to publish it that's fine but that's as long as I'm giving you you know and uh, to his credit he came back and said let's do it you know let's do it and let's print it so we did and it was terribly exciting having your first book printed uh, and it's amazing how what a huge book it was it's like the, lots of people call it the juggler's bible or the, the ball juggling bible in a way yeah, I suppose. It's sort, of, it's sort of like the Old Testament, though, isn't it? Because things have moved on a bit. And the things have moved on, but, you know, you can still look through it. I know fantastic jugglers, and you look through it, and everybody will learn something from that book. There's nobody who, unless they've sat down and learned every trick in that book, um, that would know every trick in that book, that everyone would learn something. That's, that, that's true. I mean, my big, my big problem was that would it actually work? You know, would people really be able to learn tricks? Because I knew how hard it was to learn tricks from George Gilson's book. And so right as it happened with the layout of the book, right in the middle was the Mills Mess. And the Mills Mess is really the trick that most three ball jugglers, most ball jugglers really want to get, you know. Well, less so now, but there was a phase where it was pretty much the most popular three ball trick. When you could do it, you were a good three, juggler, three ball juggler. And if you couldn't do it, it was like, hey, you should really learn it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, it's like that thing we were talking about earlier on, you know, the, these bars that you, you kind of have to reach. I mean, these days... It was pretty much, I, I guess you could call it like the, the pre-five ball juggling bar for being a good juggler with balls, I think. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And it's a really pretty pattern. So that, that, it just turned out that was right in the middle of the book. And I just said to everybody, well, I don't know whether this book's going to work or not, but I will know that on 
how long it is before I get somebody email me or phone me up or get in touch with me somehow and say, I learned Mill's Mess from your book. And couldn't understand it from George Gilson's. Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, okay, no, it's not coming to it's like, I just wanted to hear somebody, if somebody said to me, and I gave it three days, somebody has to say within three days that they learned the Mills Mess from my book, two days. And that was it. And I went, yes, it's worked. And I knew it had worked at that point. And because uh, I sort of was confident about it all the way through. Now, the, the, uh, the compendium of club juggling, how, how many years then was it? No, tell me what the year the ball juggling was. Um, uh, published and then uh, how long after that do you do the club juggling book? Uh, club juggling book, I can't remember. I think it's only a couple, couple of years later, two or three years later. So the ball juggling book came out in nine, 1993. So I guess you'd have to look in the if you look in the front of the book, it'll tell you. I can't remember. It was a couple of years later. But it's a lot bigger. It's a lot chunkier, isn't it? It is. It's a bit bigger. It's not a lot bigger. It's only about twenty. Well, we do all these technical things, but it's actually sixteen pages bigger. Um, and it's been, you know, it's a good book. It doesn't sell in such large numbers as um, the encyclopedia, but that's because once people can juggle clubs, they don't so much really need a book to teach them what to do. The encyclopedia worked incredibly well for people who were stuck, um, you know, in the middle of nowhere. There was one guy who lived in Turkey, he used to, he used to email me, he said, I'm the only Rastafarian in Turkey. And, and he lived up <laughs> in the mountains somewhere. And he was, he was a Rastafarian in Turkey, and it was all very weird, he was having a terrible life. And he got hold of the encyclopedia of board juggling, and um, I think he now runs a circus or something like that. It really changed his life. Yeah, it did. I mean, I love that. You know, I love that. It's just sort of trying to communicate the the workshop thing. You know, when people show each other tricks, trying to communicate that in a book. Also, another book was the uh, unicycle book. I, I, am I correct in saying that's your best-selling book? Um, well, if it is, I want to see some of the money. Because I don't know how that works. The, the unicycle book, yeah, that's a tiny little pamphlet. And uh, it, basically the idea is you're buying your kids a unicycle and, and you sort of, you know, rather than buying them crash helmets and stuff, you, you feel you should buy them instructions. Um, so it's the instruction manual for unicycles. It's sold at various prices by various people. And I don't really understand how the money works on it, but I don't seem to get very much. But it's a fun little thing. I mean, there's not much you can say about riding a unicycle. You know, just don't fall off. Um, always keep your weight on the bottom pedal. Um, that's about it. Uh, in my new book, which I'm working on... Wait a second, we'll get to that in one we'll second. We'll get, no. I have to say that the entire contents of how to ride your unicycle are rewritten and presented in, in three pages. Yeah. Three pages, so you've got a whole vote. How to ride a unicycle appears in my new book, yeah. That's cool. Um, so, uh, actually, no, we might as well just get straight onto this new book because there's this big, um, uh, exciting, new, uh, bankrupt Charlie kind of project in your life. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it lives, it's a rumour. This book is a rumour, but it is, I do have it, you know, I do have it on a, on a hard drive. Well, actually, I, I've seen it, so I can, I can confirm the rumour that actually Charlie has been working for the past year. It's quite big, isn't it? It's huge. It's about, what was it, about 900 pages already? No, no, no it's 600 pages at the moment. Um, the table of contents is about 28 pages long, and it's called Every Trick in the Book, so it's a bit of a, bit of a big one to do, really. Um, so... You say every trick in the book. Uh, what what kind of tricks? Juggling tricks or not? Well, just clear up one thing about every trick in the book. Obviously, um, just to use a posh word, that is a tautological title. Um, so every trick in this book. It, it does really mean every trick in this book, but, but it is pretty big, yeah. Um, so it does. Um, it, it, it doesn't go into such huge depth as um, the Encyclopedia of Ball Juggling or the Compendium of Club Juggling do or you know something like Donald Grant's amazing collection of Diablo books and stuff it, it, we can't do that but it does have 
um, ball juggling, club juggling, whips, rings, um, unicycle, unicycles, obviously, cigar boxes, devil stick, Diablo. Did I say that already? Yo-yo, and then it's got a whole load of other stuff as well. It's I was going to say that's actually when I was looking through. That's sort of like the minority part of the book. On top of that, you've got pub tricks and well actually explain some of the other areas that you do the tricks well yeah okay so there's uh, there's knots I mean uh, I, I, I like knots and um, and there's knots that I never see in other people's books um, so I'm, I'm putting in all the really useful knots including the incredibly useful one for tying the crack onto your whip which is you know which is one that people always forget um, and there's mathematics in it, and I know that sounds so dull, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, but actually, some of the uh, some of the mathematics entries, like squaring the circle, that I just read. I mean, I haven't. I've only flicked through it uh, like uh, a little bit, but there's actually some quite interesting little maths tricks in there as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's one. Um, like everybody knows, uh, everybody knows that if you get uh, two um, drawing pins or nails and stick them in a piece of wood, and then get a loop of string and a pencil, and whiz it around, you can draw an ellipse. But not many people know how to set up the length of the string and the nails so they can get an ellipse exactly the width and the height that they want. Being a sign writer helps in this regard. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, everybody know, probably knows that with a ruler and compasses you can mark out a hexagon quite easy. It's ever so easy to do. But not many people know that there's an almost as simple technique for marking out a perfect pentagon, which is, you know, it's just silly stuff like that. Um, so yeah, math. Also, also, I noticed as well quite a bit of just life experience, like how to move a trailer and how to reverse and these different things. Okay, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the, uh, the. There's an entry called "How to Live in Your Truck," which is, I mean, I live a mobile lifestyle. Uh, I live in a caravan with a Land Rover, and um, you know, it, it, the, the basic, the first two rules of how to live in your truck are very simple. Rule one is, do not disable your own vehicle, because people do I mean they sort of lend their wheels to people and uh, pile stuff underneath them or get stuck in the mud or run out of diesel or don't have a license or don't have lights or have a flat battery or and all this kind of stuff and the second rule is do not disable your own vehicle because no matter how much you tell this to people that they keep doing it so yeah there's like those travelers tricks and there's there's tricks like you know uh, something we used to do on the road um, years ago was uh, if you've got a bunch of people living in a bus or something like that and you're traveling around Europe um, laundries are always a problem because one, you know, there isn't one and two, you haven't got any money. So we used to have this huge dustbin and, and you put it in the back of the bus and you just fill it up with lots of soapy hot water and you put all your clothes in it, drive a hundred miles and it just vibrates all the It's brilliant. It's better than a washing machine. It's just stuff like that, you know. That's fantastic. So, Charlie, uh, you've got, you've, you've got a, a long history of performing. You know every trick in the book. Um, let's just wrap up this interview a bit with some, uh, some words of advice to, for, to new jugglers and maybe new performers as well, and also street performers. Um, I'm sure lots of people would love to, love to hear like three bits of advice about juggling and performing and street performing. Oh, God. Three. I'm really, really putting you on the spot here. Okay, three of us. Okay, um, right, performing... Uh, best piece of advice I give about performing is just like what I was talking about earlier on about when you're writing instructions for juggling you have to actually be talking in your mind to the person who's actually doing the trick when you're performing what you need to be doing is you need your mind needs to be out somewhere in the audience not stuck inside yourself having stage fright and trying to impress people you need you need to have a picture of everything that's going on so when you're moving on stage or doing whatever you're doing you should be able to see yourself doing it in your in your mind um, so sometimes get, 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 out, get out of yourself and, and, and express yourself and obviously, did that make sense? It, it makes perfect sense, that's actually fantastic. Okay, tip about juggling. A tip about juggling, enjoy it, for God's sake enjoy it. Um, just just have, a, have a really good time with juggling and don't try and do what everybody else does. You know, I get, I get sick of seeing club jugglers doing Alberts and Treblers. 
which is explain this. Alberts are named after Albert Lucas. It's something he used to do in his Las Vegas show. And he makes it look really good. And he makes it look really good because that's, that's something he was really good at. But people seem to do Alberts and Treblers, like throwing these clubs under their legs. It, fundamentally, it doesn't look very good. It's not a very attractive trick unless Albert Lucas does it. There's another very famous juggler who some people might have seen on video, Francis Brunn. He's the guy who just, just moved really fast and moved like a matador and did all this beautiful stuff. And it looks fantastic. It looks fantastic, but only one person could do that. It's Francis Brunn because he's doing his stuff. So do your stuff. If you think it's really funny throwing balls, beanbags at the floor and making them go splat and, and sort of dropping things. Now, um, Jay Gilligan, Jay Gilligan, what a guy, right? He's the guy who goes out on stage and he... The amount of stuff that hits the stage during his, his juggling. But the energy never stops. The energy never stops. And he's just doing what, do what, do what, do what you enjoy and, and make up your own stuff, for God's sake. You know, that's where all these tricks come from. And uh, one final thing about, uh, something about street performing quickly. Something about street performing. Oh, um, quick one. It was covered in a workshop outside the other day. Um, so, look. It's not all about money, it's about people having a really good time. But the more money they give you, the better time they had. So basically you want to get a lot of money in the hat. Start talking about money in a comedy sort of way about two-thirds of the way through your show. And um, if you're working in England and you'd really like to get a few two-pound coins in the hat, then talk about two-pound coins. Just talk about them. Or do a trick with a two-pound coin. Or if you think you're worth more than that, then talk about five-pound notes. Or talk, you know, talk about money and, and just make it funny. So there you go. Does that That's good. Um, so uh, any final words? One juggler to another. One final piece of advice or anything like that. I always get one of these at the end of the uh, end of these uh, podcasts from the guest. Well, Luke, I mean, you're a young, talented juggler, and I'm an old has been. But I just want to say one thing to you: that old age and cynicism will always overcome youth and talent. No, I don't mean it. I love you to bits. It's been great talking to you. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Charlie. Uh, oh, one final thing. You, you said you got this new book. Roughly how long will it be till it comes out, or have you no idea? <laughs> uh, definitely not before autumn. I mean, I've got so much. So it's probably a next year book. I would say so. I mean, I've got 600 illustrations to do on the manuscript at the moment, as it is, and, and I know there's loads of stuff I haven't even written yet. So, yeah, it's... Well, it's been great having you at the BJC. Really looking forward to the new book. Uh, Charlie Dancy, thank you very much. Thank you. So there you go, that was uh, Charlie Dancy, and I was talking to him at the BJC. Listening back to that, I can just tell how exhausted I must have been at the end of the BJC with my voice completely, utterly shattered there on the Sunday. Uh, Pola, did you enjoy that interview? Yeah, I really did. Again, Pola hasn't listened to the interview because we didn't play it. Do you think that joke is still funny, or is it, it some kind of running gag? It's not, well, it must be some kind of running gag, is that you never actually listen to the interviews until after I put them and after I actually uh, put them up online so everyone else hears them, uh, unless we do the interview together. Uh, yeah, but we mainly do. We mainly do, but that was one I did with Charlie by myself. Yeah, I know. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that interview. It was a great interview. So, um, next week... Another interview from, well, I guess it's up to you guys again. Email and uh, luke at juggler.net, that's the email, and just say who you want to hear uh, out of Bibi and Bishu, Marco Bonissimo, uh, Bonissimo um, or Jeff and Wes Peden. Also, we're going to try and get some other smaller interviews for the coming weeks as well. Uh, first up, the EJC is coming up in a few months' time, and there's actually one of the main organisers of the entertainment kind of end of the EJC who lives here uh, and works here in Berlin called Spiros and um, 
I know Spiros quite well, so we're probably going to do a, 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 some updates with him over the coming months, see if we can get some uh, sort of monthly or bi-weekly updates from Spiros about uh, you know who's going to be at the EJC and uh, what kind of things people can expect when they get there. So maybe the first update of that next week. Um, also, the guys got a fantastic reaction at the British Juggling Convention. Um, get the Shoe, that was, who, who were the headlining act in the main show. Um, they're great friends of ours. They were helping us move house this uh, past week, or Jochen was. So I'm going to see if I can get a uh, maybe a 10-minute interview with Jochen from Get the Shoe to talk about his act and uh, and how they put it together and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all the things we've got going. Anything else, Paula? World peace. Oh, world peace from Paula. So uh, I think that's uh, a short short podcast this week uh, or certainly shorter than the ones that we've done uh, uh, over the last few weeks oh yeah finally um, coming up this weekend it's our first street show festival of the year Gutesloh, um in central Germany so if anyone's hanging around in Germany this weekend and they want to see our street show th- we'll be there uh, it's, a, it's a, also a street show competition so um, wish us luck there's uh, big cash prizes and also it's our um, our second ever juggling no not a sh- juggling competition our second ever street show competition we took part in one last year and we came third and uh, so hopefully we can uh, do well in this weekend's uh, uh, street show festival as well in Gutersloh so um, yeah that's pretty much it for this week's podcast I can't really think of anything off the top of my head to uh, talk about um, so see you later You better don't.